Our brother is really a girl, one eager-looking twin nods to reaffirm her words. There are two ten-year-old identical girls, each with black hair and a few small freckles. Moments ago, we danced to my iPod as we waited for their mother to finish a telephone conversation in the other room. Our sing-along sounded pretty good, bouncing off the ice-cold cement walls of the apartment. Now we sit on the gold-embroidered sofa, where the twins have set up a tea service consisting of glass mugs and a pump thermos on a silver-plated tray. Cassette tapes of the Quran, of Quran verses, and peach-colored fabric flowers sit on a quarter table. The twin sisters, their legs neatly folded underneath them on the sofa, are a little offended by my lack of reaction to their big reveal. Twin number two leans forward. It's true. He is our little sister. I smile at them and nod. Yes, but I think, sure. A framed picture on a side table shows their brother posing in a v-neck sweater and tie with a grinning, mustached father. It is the only photo on display in the living room. His oldest daughters speak a shaky but enthusiastic English, picked up from the textbooks and satellite television from a dish on the balcony. We just have a language barrier here, perhaps. Okay. I say, wanting to be friendly. I understand. Your sister. Now, what is your favorite color, Benafsha? When it becomes each of the twins' turns to ask a question, they both want to know the same thing. Am I married? My response mystifies them since, as they point out, I am very old. I am even a few years older than their mother, who at 33 is a married mother of four. Your mother is also a national, is in national parliament, I say to the twins. So there are many things I am not compared to her. They seem to appreciate that framing. Their brother suddenly appears in the doorway. Maran, age six, has a tanned round face deep dimples, eyebrows that go up and down as he grimaces, and a wide gap between his front teeth. His hair is as black as that of his sister's, but short and spiky. In a tight red denim shirt and blue pants, chin forward, hands on hips, he swaggers confidently into the room, looking directly at me, and pointing a toy gun in my face. Then he pulls the trigger and exclaims his greeting. Pow! Banafsha comes alive at my side, seeing the chance to finally prove her point. She waves her arms to her brother's attention. Tell her, Maran, tell her you are our sister. I had been researching a television piece on Afghan women, and Maran and the twins' mother, Azita, had been a member of the country's fairly new parliament for four years. Elected to one of the legislative branches created a few years after the defeat of the Taliban, she had promised her rural voters that she would direct more money to their poor, remote corner of Afghanistan.
as some foreign diplomats and aid workers around Kabul came to know Azita as an educated female politician who not only spoke Dari, Pashto, Urdu, and Russian, but also English, and who seemed relatively liberal, invitations to events poured in from around the world. She was flown to several European countries and to Yale University in the United States, where she spoke of life under the Taliban. It was not unusual for Azita to invite foreigners to her rented home in this Kabul neighborhood. Here, laundry flutters on the balconies of dirt gray, four-story buildings, interrupted by the occasional patch of greenery, and in the early mornings, women gather at a hole-in-the-wall bakery while men perform stiff gymnastic exercises on the football field. Azita is one of a few women with a voice, but to many, she remains an irritation since her life is different from that of most women in Afghanistan and a threat to those who suppress them. In her words, if you go to a remote area of Afghanistan, you will see nothing has changed in women's lives. They are still like servants, like animals. We have a long time before the women before women are considered human in this society. She looks at me for a moment when we sit in her bedroom. I never want my daughters to suffer in the ways I have suffered. I had to kill many of my dreams. I have four daughters. I am very happy for that. Four daughters. Only four daughters. What is going on with this family? I hold my breath for a moment, hoping Azita will take the lead and help me understand. And she does. Would you like to see our family album? We move back into the living room, where she pulls out two albums from under a little rickety desk. The children look at these photos often. They tell the story of how Azita Azita's family came to be. First, a series of shots from Azita's engagement party in the summer of 1997. Azita's first cousin, whom she is to marry, is young and lanky. She is the elite educated daughter of a Kabul University professor. Her husband-to-be, the son of a farmer who cannot read or write. In one shot, her powdery face is streaked with vertical lines running down from dark brown eyes. A few album pages later, the twins pose with Azita's mother, a woman with high cheekbones and a strong nose in a deeply lined face. Soon, a third little girl makes her appearance in the photos. The middle sister has pigtails and a round face. Azita flips the page. Nehru's The Persian New Year in 2005. Four little girls in cream-colored dresses, all ordered by size. The shortest has a bow in her hair. It is Moran. Azita puts her finger on the, on the picture. Without looking up, she says, You know my youngest is also a girl, yes? We dress her like a boy. 
They gossip about my family. When you have no sons, it is a big missing, and everyone feels sad for you. Azita says this as if by simple explanation. Having at least one son is mandatory for good standing and reputation here. A family is not only incomplete without one. In a country lacking rule of law, it is also seen as a weakness or being vulnerable. So it is crucial for every, every married woman to quickly bear a son. It is her absolute purpose in life. And if she does not fulfill it, there is clearly something wrong with her in the eyes of others. A woman who cannot birth a son in this male-dominated culture is flawed. The literacy rate is no more than 10% in most areas, so misinformation can swirl around without being challenged. Among them is the belief that a woman can choose the sex of her unborn baby simply by making up her mind about it. As a consequence, a woman's inability to bear sons does not elicit much sympathy. Instead, she is put down by society and her own husband as someone who just does not desire a son strongly enough. For Azita, the lack of a son would get in the way of all she was trying to accomplish as a politician. When she arrived with her family in Kabul in 2005, sneers and suspicion about her lack of a son soon extended to her abilities as a lawmaker and a public figure. Her visitors would offer their condolences when they learned about only four daughters. She found herself being cast as an incomplete woman. How could she be trusted to accomplish anything at all in politics when she could not even give her husband a son? Her husband also grew increasingly embarrassed. Azita and her husband approached their youngest daughter with a proposition. Do you want to look like a boy and dress like a boy and do more fun things like boys do, like bicycling, soccer, and cricket? And would you like to be like your father? She absolutely did. It was a splendid offer. All it took was a haircut, a pair of pants from the bazaar, and a denim shirt with superstar printed on the back. In a single afternoon, the family went from having four daughters to being blessed with three little girls and a spiky-haired boy. To the outside world, the family was finally complete. Some, of course, knew the truth, but they too congratulated Azita. Having a made-up son was better than none, and people complimented her on her ingenuity. The switch also satisfied Azita's husband. Since the family's youngest took on the role of a son, the child had become a source of pride to their father. Maran's revised status also afforded her siblings considerably more freedom as they could now leave the house, go to the playground, and even wander to the next block if Maran is along as an escort. There was one additional reason for the transition. Aziza says it with a burst of low laughter, leaning in a little closer to disclose her small act of rebellion. 
I wanted my youngest to see what life was like on the other side. That life can include flying a kite, running as fast as you can, laughing hysterically, jumping up and down because it feels good, climbing trees to feel the thrill of hanging on. It is to speak to another boy, to sit with your father and his friends, to ride in the front seat of a car and watch people out on the street, to look them in the eye, to speak up without fear and to be listened to, and rarely have anyone question why you are out on your own in comfortable clothes that allow for any kind of movement. All unthinkable for an Afghan girl. But what will happen when puberty hits? You mean when he grows up, Azita says, her hands tracing the shape of a woman in the air. It's not a problem. We will change her into a girl again.